My name is Gabriela Losada, and this is Psych 401. Uh, the last episode, which was the first one about parapsychology, I just wanted to say thanks to everyone who gave me any feedback or left a review, and I really wasn't expecting that sort of response. So I am really excited to continue to go with this. And again, if anybody has any suggestions or feedback, I am all ears. Somebody suggested I do an episode about anxiety. So this is something I'm pretty well versed in just because I have firsthand experience with it and I have a lot of people in my life who experience it. I actually had my first panic attack at 16 years old, if we're going to get personal here. And I've had a Xanax prescription for five years now, I want to say. And it's a pretty low dose, but I was taking it fairly consistently and was traveling a lot at the time too. So that was kind of the primary reason for the prescription was because I have really bad anxiety surrounding flying. But I actually stopped taking it a couple of years ago just because it started making me feel like a zombie, which it's supposed to kind of knock you out and make you tired and just really relax your body because if you're in the middle of a panic attack, that's kind of what you need. So I got to a point where I wasn't feeling anxiety, but I also wasn't feeling any other emotion. So I did have to stop taking it. I take it occasionally for severe anxiety on an emergency basis. So my panic attacks are fewer and farther between now just because I've created a lot of tools to manage it. So if it does get to that point of a really heightened state, I will take it. But it's usually whenever I'm at home, I'm going to be calming down for the day anyway and probably going to sleep. So it kind of helps me not sit in a state of insomnia, freaking out about something for several hours. Just because I no longer take anti-anxiety medication does not mean I'm shaming anybody for taking medication. If that's what you need, more power to you. I also take other medication for various things. So this isn't in any way, shape, or form intended to shame anybody. One of the reasons why my anxiety has kind of slowed down is because in recent years, it has been replaced with disassociation. So whenever my brain starts to spiral, my, as my therapist calls it, my brain goes offline and just kind of cancels out any external stimuli and makes me feel like I'm in a really weird dream state, which might sound cool, but it's actually pretty awful. So I'm not experiencing panic or anxiety, but it is kind of that feeling of taking Xanax and feeling like a zombie. I will likely be discussing disassociation in a later episode. I have a friend who is an art therapist who I think you would really like to listen to, and she works with a lot of people who have experienced trauma and deal with disassociation on a very regular basis due to PTSD and this just being one of the symptoms that comes along with it. Also, disclaimer, I'm not an expert, but I have a lot of personal experience with this stuff, and this episode especially is something that I think I can speak to. It's not everybody's experience, obviously, but I wanted to throw out a few suggestions and statistics and a little bit more about anxiety in general. Real fun stuff. The National Institute of Mental Health actually categorizes anxiety under a pretty wide umbrella of things. So whenever they do studies, 
anxiety is classified as panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, agoraphobia, which is fear of leaving the house, um, any specific phobias, like I said before, flying or something of the sort, social anxiety disorder, PTSD, OCD, and separation anxiety disorder. So these all have pretty different symptoms, which is why I'm surprised that they're all kind of lumped together. And it covers a pretty wide breadth of people. But the statistics say that 31% of people will experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. And women are more likely to experience anxiety than men. So this is probably due to societal factors and the pressures that we put on women day to day. There are a few risk factors involved that would cause somebody to have a higher level of anxiety at any point during life. So one of those would be where they have a lot of inhibitions during childhood. This could be kind of a foreshadowing to somebody who may have anxiety later in life. Exposure to stressful and negative life or environment events in early childhood or adulthood. So obviously if you're in a constantly stressful environment where you have things to be anxious about on a daily basis, this is going to cause some level of anxiety. If any relative, especially immediate family, suffer from mental illness, they have a higher risk factor. And then some physical health conditions. Obviously, there are different degrees of this. People experience severe, moderate, or mild effects. Physiologically, there are things happening while you are experiencing anxiety or having a panic attack. And a lot of these can include um, your heart pounding really fast. Um, you may start sweating or have a headache. Sometimes people get a really upset stomach um, just out of fear. I know personally I used to physically throw up every time I had a really big event. I threw up before prom. I threw up before plenty of job interviews. And just that heightened sense of fear about potentially nothing can cause these really extreme symptoms. A lot of people become dizzy. And it's pretty common that during a panic attack or before a panic attack, someone will have shortness of breath and have trouble catching their breath. And then this can go further and further until it feels like your chest is constricting and you can't breathe at all. Some people start to uncontrollably shake. And then insomnia is pretty frequent among people who experience anxiety. Um, just because if you're Thoughts are constantly racing and you can't quiet them down and there are 20,000 things that you're worrying about, chances are you won't be able to fall asleep. Self-diagnosing isn't the best idea, but if you have anxiety, you likely already know that it's something you're struggling with. There are some preventative measures you can take, and obviously it's not a one-size-fits-all prescription, but something you can do to prevent a really heightened level of anxiety is to get enough sleep. You're supposed to be getting at least seven to eight hours per night. I know that's not realistic for quite a few people, especially parents. If you figure out what your tipping point is when it comes to caffeine consumption, obviously try cutting yourself off before you reach that tent. But again, if you're already not getting enough sleep because insomnia and anxiety go hand in hand already, a lot of people overconsume caffeine just because they're so exhausted from the night before. So this can heighten anxiety tenfold. Sometimes it requires examining what tends to set off your anxiety. So if you can eliminate those factors, also if there are certain people that set off your anxiety that you were able to avoid or hang out with in smaller doses, if you don't really have control over being around that person, whether they're a coworker or a family member, um, 
or if not meeting a deadline and having to rush to get something done sets off your anxiety, try and take bite-sized chunks of that assignment and do them small bits at a time so you're not overwhelmed toward the end. A really great preventative measure and something I will always advocate for is therapy. Mental health maintenance is incredibly helpful when it comes to anxiety and just talking about day-to-day frustrations or things that make you nervous can be a really big help, especially coming from a third party who isn't going to judge you and also isn't going to weigh in with bias. I have heard and read from numerous sources that vitamins B6, B3, and B12 can be really helpful. Also getting enough sun and if you live in a part of the country that doesn't get a lot of sun like I do, I take vitamin D during the six months where the sun doesn't come out at all. If you, and I'll get to this later too, but if you keep healthy snacks and water on you so that you're not getting to a level where your blood sugar drops or you're dehydrated, that can potentially cause you to tailspin. And then exercising can be a really good preventative measure as well. I can't push it on anybody because I definitely don't work out, but I nanny part-time for two really cool kids and we go on walks very often and kind of take our time and stroll and notice all the little things. And I think that is incredibly helpful for me. There are some things that you can do when you're in a stable state of mind before the panic returns. I think there's an acronym for this that I will try to link in the show notes if I can find it or remember it, but you kind of have to ask yourself a few questions. Did you get enough sleep? Are you hydrated? Are you hungry? And continue to have this in your mind as you go throughout your day because if something comes up and you start to get a lot of nervous energy, if you check in with yourself and make sure that your basic needs are met, it may help in the long run and help put off any of that anxiety or help quell it. I also have a long running list that I actually need to update that reminds me um, of places that you can go when you're feeling anxious I have one list for when I don't feel like I can be out in public and I need to stay home and kind of curl up in a ball. Some of those include journaling or painting or stretching, and I'll get into those later too. And then I have another list for when I'm feeling a little bit braver and feel like I can be around people, but I also need to get some space from my regular environment that I'm in every day. I have another list of people that I can call to either just talk and rant whenever I really need to or whenever I feel a lot of tension building up. And then some of those people on that list are people that I can call or text and ask if they want to go grab a drink or go see a movie or just go to the park so that I'm around people that I really love and trust. I make sure that the people that I'm around while I'm feeling anxious are people that are going to help me and not compact that anxiety for me. I've also made several playlists in the past that put me in a good mood and something that I've also done while in a state of anxiousness is seeking out and digging for music that I haven't heard before because it helps elevate my mood, especially if the music is a little bit happier. I try to avoid sad music at all costs unless I just really need to let out like a cathartic cry. But then that can tend to spiral into something worse. So I try and do things that will elevate my mood and have that those lists and tools on hand so that whenever I am anxious or 
about to have a panic attack. I don't have to think about those things when my brain functioning isn't 100%. I also recommend creating a care kit of your creature comforts. I am actually in the process of putting one together for the rainy season that is coming up and has already sort of started um, because like I said, it rains here for six months at a time and it starts to weigh on you quite a bit. This is going to be just in a little basket in my closet most likely, but in this I'm going to put a really great blanket. Um, probably a can of soup because that is just kind of comfort food to me. Um, scent is really powerful. So if you have a candle of some sort that has reminded you of calmer or happier times, lighting that and burning it will help bring some of those memories back. And I would just recommend even if you're not going to create this kit then and there, at least brainstorm what you might want in it. A few coping mechanisms for when I'm anxious and I'm actually in the thick of it. I, for one, try and get off of my phone because I tend to feel like I'm in this endless antsy loop of exiting out of an app and then mindlessly clicking on it again and scrolling and then it just impacts my anxiety really heavily. This is really difficult for me because one of the jobs I have involves handling social media accounts. So it's not something that I can just delete the apps off of my phone because I need those for work. And then a lot of that social media work is from home. So I have a really hard time separating work and personal life because it kind of bleeds into each other. I try and leave the house if I can, but I make sure I have a general destination in mind. If the weather is nice, I try and go on a walk or to a movie where I can try and take my mind off of things at least for a little bit in a different atmosphere. Taking a nap is incredibly helpful for me, just trying to, if I can, fall asleep or at least just lie down and relax my body a little bit if I can. Sometimes when I wake up from the nap, I'm in a better mood and more calm. It doesn't always work, especially if the panic or whatever is causing the panic is a very present and real thing. I also use acrylics and watercolors pretty often. I'm not good at making art and that's the thing. You don't have to be good at it. Just the process of it really helps me. Whenever I paint with acrylics, I kind of set out a geometric design of sorts and then fill it in with a pretty flat paintbrush and it's almost like coloring and it's just really soothing to fill in those lines. And then if it's watercolor, I just grab a brush and make splotches. Just kind of seeing the paint spread and change and blend together is really soothing. I know this is kind of overplayed, but taking a bath is actually really helpful for some people. I usually bring my laptop in and set it on the the counter and binge something like Handmaid's Tale, which you wouldn't think would help and actually might even make it worse for some people. But there's something about being so involved in somebody else's story and somebody else's problems that it helps me temporarily tune out of mine so I can come at it with a different perspective when I'm ready. 
Again, therapy. I have yet to schedule an emergency appointment, even though I probably should have a few times in the past, but it's good to know that that option is there. So if you feel like you need to, or if you're not already going and you have wanted to, I highly recommend seeking out somebody. I know on Psychology Today, you can filter by location and what kind of therapist you want and what kind of therapy you want to go to, and even what type of insurance they have, or if they do sliding scale if you don't have insurance. Just having that on hand and establishing care with someone to go even once a month so that if you do need those sessions and if something really big in your life comes up that is going to cause you a lot of anxiety, you have that person that you've already established a relationship with and can go to to talk to your problems on a more frequent basis when you need. My partner and I have a lot of fidgets around the house uh, to help with any nervous or antsy energy. So he recently got me um, one of those, it's like a plastic rectangle with all of those little plastic, I don't know how to explain it. Um, It's like all these little plastic pins and whenever you press your hand or like an object into it, it goes to the other side and has that shape. I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. Um, And then um, things like Silly Putty. He has a literal fidget spinner that we use sometimes. I've gone to the dollar store multiple times and have gone to the toy aisle and have gotten these little, um, like they're usually little animals or dinosaurs or whatever, but you can squeeze them and it's, they're filled with air typically. So They have different textures on them, and then you can squeeze them to make the material thinner. I don't know if I explained that well either, but I keep some in my purse just for when I'm out and about. I try and keep some in my car. I'm a nervous driver, even though nothing has ever happened. So I try and keep some in there for those occasions. Journaling is really helpful for quite a few people. Sometimes I will just kind of spill anything onto a page that I'm feeling nervous about or upset about. And then eventually when I feel like I have all of those things out on paper, I switch gears and write gratitudes because it helps your mind shift into a happier state. Sometimes if I'm feeling up to it and just have a ton of nervous energy, I clean which ends up being a really positive coping mechanism in some ways because then I have a clean house. Meditation is incredibly helpful. There are so many benefits that have been proven and maybe I'll throw some stats in a future episode. Um, I use the Headspace app, which is kind of pricey relatively for a subscription, but I've been using the free versions for a few months now and haven't run out of videos to watch because I think they release a free video meditation thing every day that you can do. And then they also have different levels of like the basic plan that you can do without paying. I also do this a lot whenever I have insomnia. There are times when I will put on like a 10 minute guided meditation and then fall asleep on minute three because it just relaxes me so much. That's typically when my anxiety isn't at its height, but I initially had a lot of mixed feelings about it. I was just like really skeptical and had a previous partner who really turned me off to it because they were incredibly privileged in every way possible and just ranted and raved about meditation and 
always encouraged me to do it. And I didn't feel like I could turn off my brain at any point, especially when I was feeling anxious. So for a while, I was really kind of opposed to it. And then whenever I started therapy, there was a session that my current therapist played a guided meditation through the Headspace app, actually. And we just kind of sat there together and went through it. And it changed my mind about it quite a bit. And I know that there are a lot of other apps and avenues for doing this. And most of them are free, especially if you go onto YouTube. I wash my hands too. And I usually go from cold water to hot water and then sometimes back and forth and use one of my favorite soaps. So there's a good scent and then you're getting the sensation of hot to cold. So it can really help. And then lastly, I have a cat who I adopted about a year ago and she is registered as an emotional support animal and is not always the most supportive so sometimes I attempt to make her hang out with me and she doesn't always want to which I guess I have to live with but she's really soothing to me and helps with my anxiety quite a bit whenever she decides she wants to love me. My friend Dylan recommended this method to me a few years ago when I was having a panic attack at work, and it was the worst. Um, but it's the four, seven, eight method, and you breathe in for four seconds, you hold your breath for seven seconds, and then you exhale for eight seconds. And this causes you to shift from a flight or fight reaction, which is what your anxiety attack essentially is in the sympathetic state to a parasympathetic state, which is way more at rest and calm. If you yourself don't experience anxiety, but you have a family member or a friend who does, I have a few methods for you to help them if you so choose. If you're in public with them and they start to have a really overwhelming sense of anxiety or are beginning to have a panic attack, I would highly recommend that you help guide them to a more quiet, more private space. So whether this be a bathroom or your car or wherever is close by that they are going to feel more safe and calm, try and guide them there. From then on, attempt to ask them what they need. They may not be able to answer if they're in the state of panic. If they're able to articulate what they need, help them follow those instructions. Don't tell them to calm down. That is the absolute worst, most invalidating feeling to have somebody tell you that what you're feeling isn't a big deal. Avoid that at all costs. Try and grab some water for them if you can. Sometimes really cold water can help just because it almost shocks the system and helps bring you back slightly and then sit with them if they need somebody there but also if they articulate that they want to be alone let them be alone make sure that you're standing nearby in case they do need you or let them know that they can text you or call you if they want you to come back it's not a one-size-fits-all treatment and there are going to be so many different factors that affect whoever is having this panic if you're having a casual conversation with a friend or a family member and there is not a panic attack involved and the mood is pretty even and calm and your friend discloses to you that they have issues with anxiety, ask them what helps them in those moments so that you can hold on to that information for the future. Panic attacks can feel like a heart attack because your chest feels so ridiculously tight and you can't breathe and it's terrifying. So 
don't call 911 unless there is an actual immediate danger. They might tell you that they're having a heart attack, especially if they've never experienced a full-blown panic attack before. And it, it truly does feel like one. So also don't dismiss those feelings. That feeling does pass eventually. It feels like a lifetime for the person who is experiencing this panic attack. But I just, I would really recommend not calling 911 because ambulance fees are so expensive. And even if you do have insurance, they can run one to $2,000 per ride. And then on top of that, it's going to take them to the emergency room. And then there are going to be ridiculous fees associated with that as well especially if the person doesn't have insurance. Don't do that to them because then that's just going to cause future panic whenever they're unable to pay those bills. I think that's all for today. I wanted to do this episode because I have a lot of personal experience with it and I figured it would be fairly easy to do while I do research for the next episode, which is a little bit more research heavy. If you rate, review, and or subscribe to the podcast, it'll help a lot of other people find it. The cover artwork is by Ian Wortham. I will link his stuff in the show notes below. Also, I really can't thank y'all enough for the really great feedback that you've given and all the encouragement and support that has been shown. I really, truly appreciate it.